Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from December 11th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Really, just one verse, 
After we sing that one verse, we're going to just continue with one page. His name is wonderful. 861. So we just sing one after the other. All right? Seven and then immediately after eight sixty one. This will count only as one song in the first between the next prayer. <laughs> oh Lord, our Lord, our majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, our majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Oh, 
passing to the center, and then we'll get those at the end of, end of the, the service. Please mark number 19, song after the lesson.
and that people haven't gotten super busy again, but it'll be a hard day and that it'll get lost in the holiday shuffle. Okay, so we're trying to make sure everybody, all the men have that on the counter. We rented a house up on Center Hill Lake. You can come the whole weekend. You can come just parts of it. We're just going to be hanging out. It's going to be really low-key, just still in that mindset of, we haven't gotten to hang out as much the last couple of years, and we're just kind of wanting to get everybody together. So 18 and up, we got a bunch of the college guys coming, a bunch of the older guys, um, whatever age bracket I'm in. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of good food. We'll probably watch some football, we'll play board games. There'll probably be some D&D, &D, all that good stuff. So uh, so many plans to be a part of that. Grab your bulletin. Uh, we're going to... D&D is slang for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm trying to be hip or 80s. I don't know what I'm trying to be. Okay, but, um, but come enjoy that. Grab your bulletin. We're going to do our reading in just a second. So this is the third Sunday of the church year. It's the third Sunday of Advent. Advent simply means arrival or coming. I want to thank Chris Church for preaching for me last week when I was gone. The second and third Sundays of Advent always focus on John the Baptist. Remember the first Sunday uh, of Advent when I interviewed Randy, and Randy and I were dialoguing about time, how we measure time. So in the Christian sense, we see ourselves between the two Advents. We see ourselves between the two comings, between the two arrivals of Jesus. So we think this time of year about what came in the first arrival of Jesus and what it means for us to be living in constant expectation of the second arrival of Jesus. And before we get to the nativity and all the beauty of that, we spend a couple weeks in John the Baptist, okay? And his voice can sometimes be a loud voice, okay? Sometimes be a voice that I grew up never associating John the Baptist with Christmas, right? And yet, John the Baptist kind of wakes us up to make sure we don't miss the kingdom of God. We're doing a couple of unique things this morning. I'm going to read the scripture. Then I'm going to have a couple people come up and share testimony from the Jill's house weekend last weekend, and I'll explain that. And then we're going to talk about John the Baptist coming from the wilderness and what that means. And uh, Neil Allison's going to come up in a second. I'm going to interview him uh, about that, so a little different this morning. Our gospel reading comes from Matthew 11, 2-11. Before you stand, let me give you a little backdrop. This is not in the early part of John's ministry. This is after John has been thrown in prison. Remember, he's thrown in prison because he speaks out against Herod's high-profile adultery. He took his brother's wife, did it very publicly. He knew it. It violated their sense of morality, and he did it anyway, and he didn't care. It was very much of this, the rules that apply to the common people don't apply to the elites type of thing. Okay, And um, when John speaks out against it, John gets thrown in jail, gets thrown in prison. And Jesus is all preaching and spending time with the poor and the sick. And John is like, was Jesus really the Messiah? Like, he's almost having a little buyer's remorse or maybe cousin's remorse here since they're related. Like, is he, did we get it all right or, or was this really true? So he's going to ask about this. And Jesus is basically saying, yeah, you were right. You're in prison and you're like, this isn't the kingdom I signed up for. But think deeply. This kingdom, may, there may be some suffering on the road to redemption. And these are the things that make us aware of the kingdom. The Jill's house part will connect to that. But then he's going to say, Jesus is going to say, why were you so interested in John the Baptist? Why did you go out to the wilderness? So we're going to talk about what it means to hear the voice of God in the wilderness this morning. So if you would stand with me for the reading. This is Matthew chapter 11, 2 through 11. 
And if you'd like to join with me in the bolt section, feel free. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Shall we expect someone else? And Jesus replied together, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. This is John the Baptist. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? No. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before me. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. These are the words of the Lord, and you may be seated. Just as John the Baptist is experiencing a time of suffering in prison, and he wonders, was Jesus really the one? We have times of our life, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the hardship, where we say, is Jesus really who he said he was? Is the kingdom really a thing? And if so, how can I experience it? And what does Jesus do to point to the kingdom of heaven? Look at that. It's the part you read with me. Anytime you see the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead raised, and the good news proclaimed to the poor, my friends, that is the kingdom. When we spend time with the least of these, and to be clear, there are times we're the least of these, right? But when we spend time with the least of these, my friends, that's the kingdom of God. And when love is expressed in that way, we can know that Jesus is Lord. Last weekend, and I want to invite up those who went with me. It was Rebecca and Awen and Isaiah and Mary Paul. And I'll let them all know. I know sometimes you're like, does he just draw people from the audience? Okay. Uh, I'll let them all know. If you guys want to come up and just kind of stand right here beside me, the crew that came with me last week. This was the fourth time that um, our church participated in what is called Jill's House. This is a ministry that started in Washington, D.C., there's a wife and husband that had a daughter named Jill who had special needs. You can loop around in whichever direction. That's fine. But they had a, a daughter with special needs named Jill. And they realized this can be a lot sometimes with families who were caring for kids with special needs. And so they developed the idea of respite care. And basically where they can take a child that has special needs and take them somewhere to get a break from parents and for the parents to get a break from the kid. And sometimes those of you that have lived in these situations know the, the typical child that might be in the family, if so much attention is given to, to the atypical child, which you definitely understand, sometimes the typical child can get lost in the shuffle. So this is a way to give respite care to these kids, respite care to these parents, and it's a beautiful thing. The divorce rate among families involving special needs is really high. This is just a way to try to minister to these families. So Jill's house has their main base in Washington, D.C. They have a full-time year-round facility. And then they've done these sites in other locations around the country. And they do this five or six times a year at Camp Woodjewagon out by Percy Priest Lake, where the women had, had their retreat back in November. And so we went last weekend, and each of us had a buddy 
that we were buddied up with the entire weekend, Friday evening through Sunday about 1 o'clock, and just had a fantastic time together. And so I want each of them to tell us the first name of their buddy and just kind of some memories they had. So my buddy was Jonathan. He's 15 or 16 years old. Um, he had Down syndrome and, and autism. He didn't say much, but we realized he loved to pass the basketball back and forth. And so we would stand there and just dribble the basketball and pass it back and forth. And he brought his iPad and he loved to make videos. So we would just make videos the whole time and watch him on the iPad and he just laughed. And he loved the horseback riding. He said he was gonna zip line with me, but when we got up there, he looked down and was like, no. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but he went horseback riding, which was amazing. So uh, Mary Paul, will go to you next. Um, so my buddy's name was Joy, and she lived up to her namesake. She was just so kind and happy, and she really loved to make silly faces at you. So she would go, I'll make a face, and she would make one, and she'd go, okay, your turn. And it kept her entertained for hours, and it was so much fun. <laughs> and every time she laughed, I would laugh too. And it was just really fun to be able to make those memories and enjoy the weekend. My buddy's name was Sam, and he was 16. He had Down syndrome, and he was he was just awesome. Like he loved life. Everything we did, he did with a smile on his face, and it was just great. He loved ziplining. We went down the zipline like four times. They could kick up, kick us off of it. Um, he really loved juice. So like at meal times, it was a struggle to keep him away from the juice machine. I think he might have had like six cups of juice in one breakfast. And it was great, because the weekend was just full of fun and, and laughter, and I really enjoyed it. So my buddy was not there this weekend, so I kind of got to float around a little bit and hang out with a lot of different people. I mainly stuck with Mary Paul and Joy. And that was a lot of fun, and I think one of the parts that was the most fun is she had been at the camp before and had not been able to make it up the stairs to go to the zip line. And so Mary Paul and I were able to help her make it up the stairs, and she went down twice, and she went down once with Mary Paul, once with me. And it was just a really fun experience, and she was waving at us the whole time, and it was very sweet. So overall, it was really, it was really fun, and also to just get to meet a ton of other people there, too. <clears throat> So my buddy was Anna. She had Down syndrome and fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, she was game from as soon as she arrived. She was ready to go. She was always at first in line for any activity um, and just thoroughly enjoyed it all. She loved zip lining, went down three times, uh, horse riding. Her favorite thing to do was to dance and her song was Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. <laughs> and we came on, I mean, she, it wasn't like dancing seats. She just dropped everything, would find her space and then just dance. And then she'd like erupt into laughter and deals like, Throughout the whole thing, you should have saying I'm having so much fun. So it was just lovely to see and see the joy on all the faces. So really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. You guys can have a seat. With that in mind, Larry, do you have an arrangement of party in the USA, like a four-part <laughs> harmony? He's, he's looking for. That's the next sheet he's going to pass out. Yeah. Not under the piece. Yeah, nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, 
It's just a beautiful thing. We've done that several times. Paul was going to go. He's been several times before. He got sick last minute. Sarah Perkins, Charlie, or is it Jonah? One of the boys. Jonah's been. A bunch of you have been before, and, and we'll do it again. Friends, anytime um, we experience what Matthew 25 says, you know, whatever you do, the least of these you do for me, we experience the kingdom of God. We experience a, a glimpse of it. And, and like I said, sometimes, sometimes we're the least of these, right? And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So if we're ever wondering, is Jesus who he said he was? And then in what can be a cold, dark world, where do we find hope? We find hope in these experiences. We find the presence of the loving God in these experiences. And Jesus pointed this in this passage where he says, he talks to his disciples, you know, why did you go out to the wilderness, right? Why'd you go? It wasn't because you were satisfied, it's because you were longing for something. Before I bring Neil up to talk about this, I got to go to Israel for the first time this past May. And as I've shared before, it was an incredibly moving experience. And as I went to the Mount of Olives, as I went to the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall, I was just so moved. And yet, I was really overwhelmed at the same time. I was overwhelmed at some point about like the level of religious tourism, okay? When you were like being kneeled in prayer, having a special moment, and then you realize people are snapping photos and buying stuff for $10 or something, you know? Um, but then I was also overwhelmed by just the tension in the city. I met some amazing, wonderful Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and yet the discord in the city is palpable. And so I was just feeling overwhelmed and anxious just after just a couple of days. And, and the last day of my trip, we went out to the wilderness and uh, went out to the Jordan River, went out to the Dead Sea, hiked up Masada. I've told you some of these stories. And when I went to the Jordan River out in the wilderness, I was like, I get it. I'm so overwhelmed by that city. Jerusalem, Zion, that wonderful, glorious city. I'm so ready to get out of there and just get out to the wilderness. And Neil and I are talking about this type of thing. You guys know Neil's a big hiker. Neil, if you can go ahead and come up. Uh, we're going to talk about just the wilderness and topography and how why God speaks in certain locations, maybe more than others. And we're going to dialogue about this for just five to ten minutes. So. And these are questions we kind of practiced and went over together. Um, so, Neil, in the Bible, it seems that God often speaks louder and clearer in the wilderness as opposed to the city. And why do you think that is? Well, before I begin, let's go back and look at the history. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> history professor here. Um, a lot of cultures around the world have a real close relationship with the wilderness throughout time. Uh, if we look at American history, it's interesting to see how the conception of wilderness changes. Uh, when, with the Puritans, uh, they're terrified of the wilderness. They, they don't want to go in it. They think the darkness is Satan. They're, they're just, they won't go anywhere near it. There's a great movie, if I can make a movie reference here, uh, from M. Night Shyamalan called The Village. And it's about this village. And I don't, I don't want to give you a spoiler here. But there's something going on with this village that's set like maybe in the 18th, 19th century. And they're told not to go in the woods. There's like monsters in the woods. And, they, and so it's really kind of showing that Puritan expression of how they're terrified of it. 
But as American history goes along, the frontier moves and pioneers go, uh, it changes and people start to appreciate the wilderness in different ways. And you all are familiar with like Henry David Thoreau and Walden. Uh, um, Thoreau talks about in wildness is the preservation of the world. Okay? So this idea that wilderness is, is where we need to be. We need to go out there and it changes us and it transforms us. And then you get to John Muir around 1900. He's one of the fathers of the environmental movement in the United States. And John Muir says, go into the mountains and your cares will fall away like autumn leaves. Okay? So we've got this kind of change in perspective through American history. Uh, like in Japan, uh, nature is seen as a really, really important spiritual thing. So people want to be there. Uh, you'll have uh, like mini Zen gardens, even if you live in the city. You'll have like a small one. You might have one in your apartment if you can do that. Um, Mount Fuji has a lot of power. People go hike there. Um, there's this idea that there's a purity to wilderness, that you go into wilderness and it kind of purifies you, it purifies your spirit. Uh, some of the, the Buddhist monks go and like sit under waterfalls, they meditate under, under uh, ice cold waterfalls, it's called Masoki. And it's kind of like this challenge that kind of, it's a, it's a physical hardship, but it kind of changes them spiritually. And so, uh, as JP said, I spent a lot of time in the wilderness and um, the things that, that I gather from it, um, first of all, I think it's clarity. I think when I go into the wilderness, it, it kind of resets things. It helps me see the world differently. Again, if I can go back to Japan, they have a great saying. It's, uh, in Japanese, it's seishin teki kyoyo, okay? which means uh, your, your, your vision is clarified. It's refined. You have a spiritual refinement that happens in the wilderness, and you bring that back into the urban life. Uh, another thing I find when I go out there um, is regeneration. I find kind of a uh, it helps me in a way that I, uh, when I come back, I'm different. Um, I one time did a solo backpacking trip to Bone Mountain on the Appalachian Trail. And this was a long time ago. Road Mountain now is the Appalachian Trail is like a highway. And there's just people just streaming down it. And this was in the old days when you could go and nobody was there. And um, it's this uh, rolling mountain we can see for a long time. And uh, I just sat up there and I prayed. Uh, I had always loved the Psalms as a teenager, but I discovered Psalm 27. It was very powerful to me. It's still today I go back and read it sometimes when. I'm struggling. It talks about, you know, wait on the Lord. He's there for you. He's going to take care of you. Um, another thing which I think is unusual about the wilderness is uh, being lost sometimes, and then, and then you find your way. Um, JP and I have talked about this. I, I've told him several stories about I've never really been lost, but I've been temporarily disoriented many, many times. Uh, one time in southern Illinois, a friend of mine and I were hiking. Uh, it got dark. We lost the trail. It was pitch black. There was this thunderstorm moving in, and the lightning that was coming at it was purple. It was, like, terrifying. And so just the, trying to find the trail, trying to find your boot print as you cross this stream, it was really, really stressful. But somewhere in there, I felt like this is going to be okay. 
in my blundering, somebody is, is, I think there's somebody there that's going to take care of me. And we found our way back, and everything was fine. And I've been in that situation many times, and um, somehow there always seems to be this feeling after your loss, then you find your way. It's very, very powerful. Uh, one time I was, uh, I kind of lost in the snow, and I couldn't see the trail, and I kept looking and looking at different angles, and then finally I saw where the trail was. And so I had to look at things differently, and I, I kind of take that metaphor with me and try to remember that in life. Thank you. Question two. Thinking of John the Baptist, how does the landscape of the wilderness actually illustrate his message? Well, to me, John the Baptist and the landscape are the same thing. Okay. Um, if, uh, as J.P. said, I've been to Israel, I've been to Judean wilderness. Uh, it's really harsh, and it's really lonely, and it takes a lot of discipline to live there. And so I, I always thought John the Baptist was really cool when I was a kid because he was out in the wilderness, and he, you know his hair was going crazy, and he ate honey. I got to kind of work on the locust thing. The wild honey sounded fascinating to me, but it disciplined him to see the world in a different way. Okay, he approached things in a way that it's hard for us to imagine what that does for you. Um, the, um, when I was in the Qumran that JP mentioned, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, it's a really, really harsh wilderness. You can see the caves up on the hillside, and everybody else on our tour had gone back to the bus, and so I stood there for a while. And I could feel the loneliness just closing in around. It was just me and the wind, and it was just wonderful. There was nothing else there. And so as JP said, I get why he would go there. Because uh, it's, you, can't exp you cannot get that in the hustle and bustle of the city and the noise and everything else. Uh, in the third century, the Desert Fathers were early Christians who came out of um, uh, uh, Egypt. They left the city, and they went... Uh, to this, to the wilderness of, uh, of Egypt, which is similar to uh, uh, to Israel, and um, they uh, uh, went into these caves and they lived there for years. Saint Anthony is probably the most famous. You may have heard of him. I was watching a special there night on PBS, and they showed Saint Anthony's cave, and it was it was not big enough to stretch out in. So he had to kind of sleep in the fetal position and he could stand up in the cave. Uh, and so they said he lived there for 45 years and there were some disciples at the bottom of the mountain who once a week would bring him like a loaf of bread and he had a water source near there. And so he, he kind of pushed everything else aside so he could focus on his relationship with God and God talking to him. And so the wilderness is hard. I mean, I, 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 a lot of times, uh, Eric Simon, a lot of you know him, uh, Eric and I went out west one summer for like six weeks, and we were in uh, Canyonlands in the southwest, and we had several different tents we were going to set up that night, and so we thought, well, it, it's, it's hot, so we'll set up this tent with the mesh on it. That was a bad call. Um, the desert winds came up at night, and they blew uh, 
sand over us the entire night, okay? And in the morning when we woke up, we looked like we were covered in moon dust, okay? And that was a really rough night. Um, one time in Joyce Kilmer, uh, it, was, it was torrential rain. The terrain is really, really steep. We set up the tent, it was about a 50 degree angle. And uh, water just gushed down on the tent all night long, okay? It came in the tent, it, it was like sleeping in a stream. And um, so we, but you know, it was, it was horrible, but in a lot of ways it was wonderful because I was like, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. I kept telling myself that. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I've slept in snow caves. I've done all kinds of things where uh, it's not someplace you would normally sleep, but afterwards you were like, that was pretty amazing. And I'm really glad I did that. Last question. So in our American culture, the holiday season often feels really busy and materialistic. So how does the message of John shape how we practice Advent? Well, a, a, lot, a lot of these trips, uh, Amy and I did together. And as a lot of you know, we did uh, Mount Rainier in Washington State uh, National Park. We did the Wonderland Trail. We didn't, we didn't climb the mountain, we went around the mountain. It's about 100 miles, it's a really, really difficult trail. It's called the Wonderland Trail, and it is. It's gorgeous, we got to see every side of the mountain. We'd only been married about five years. And so this was pr some pretty intense marriage therapy. Because <laughs> uh, you, uh, you know, you've got a lot of hardships. Her knee got injured, uh, like day two or day three, and I thought we're gonna have to pull out, and somehow it cleared up. Uh, that seemed kind of almost supernatural to me. It was very powerful. I was praying a lot, and suddenly her knee wasn't swollen anymore. I don't know what exactly happened there, but then we were able to go and do, you know, the rest of the trip. But on Rainier, uh, it kind of distilled everything down for us, and it was very, very powerful in that uh, the only things that mattered during the day were finding a campsite, making sure you had a water source, getting your food ready, sitting around the fire and kind of enjoying the stars. And it just kind of distilled life down to those things. And one of the ways I made it around the mountain is I kind of used, I mean, I, I tend to think in nature metaphors, uh, but I tried to use that experience to kind of shape my character. And so I, one of the things I came up, which I still use all the time now in a difficult situation, I came up with this kind of mnemonic device. I called it PEP, and it was it was patience, endurance, and positive mental attitude. And that got me up and down the trails. The trails were, I mean, they were really, really difficult. Uh, my pack weighed 65 pounds. Since then, I've I've gone to ultralight backpacking for for various reasons. Uh, Amy's pack weighed 50 pounds, and she weighed 108 at the time. Okay? And you're only supposed to maybe do a quarter of your body. Okay, so we had all this weight. Uh, it was, and you, know, you had to struggle up and down these hills, but it was amazing in terms of what that did for our internal condition. And so to me, uh, when I think of John the Baptist and I think of Advent, John the Baptist to me really represents a simplicity, okay? This time of year, it's, it's really hectic, it's really busy, it seems materialistic. But if we can just simplify things and distill them down and think about that,
Jesus was born. Jesus lived a life that's inspirational to us. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. Okay. And that simple, simple message, I think, will help us carry us through these times when, you know, it, it's, it's, it's busy, it's hectic, and we don't know what else to do. Thank you, Neil. Can you give us the, the PEP pneumatic device one more time? What was that? Patience, endurance, and positive mental attitude. I love that. I actually, I altered it later to, uh, to PPP. Uh, I changed endurance, yeah, so that, that, that's funny because I said PP. Uh, uh, but I changed it to, to uh, perseverance because I thought that was a little more active than endurance. So, but I like the PEP because it's spelled a word. Yeah, PEP, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Well, as we transition, let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This morning's reading is a reminder that if we're looking for God, it will be a lot easier to find God on the margins than at the center. It will be a lot easier to find God out in the wilderness than in the city center. And it will be a lot easier to find God with the have-nots than the haves. Let's slow things down. Let's enter into the simplicity of the gospel call that Jesus invites us into and not get distracted for Jesus is Lord. As Larry leads us, let's stand together and sing. All hail the power of Jesus, and let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He Join me.
Communion 256. Two, five, six. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in all believers here. It soothes his sorrows, seals his wounds, and drives away his fear. And drives away his fear. It makes a wounded spirit whole and calms the separate it all out. It's hard to find what Neil was talking about. 
you know, where do we find our peace and where do we find our joy? Because um, in Nehemiah it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we have to find joy. Where do we find it? Well, Neil clearly finds joy in the wilderness, and that's awesome. And Neil, I have hiked with a 45-pound uh, backpack, and I can say that it's not my joy. Um, <laughs> but where do you find your joy? Is it in this season? Some people struggle at Christmas time. It's totally understandable. You know, sometimes you've been through something and, and you associate it with Christmas, or it's just not your happy thing. Um, I like Christmas songs. They're not so much, but they make me happy and they make me smile. So is there joy in the season? Is there joy in just something that you like to do? My geeky heart loves spending a day in the State Historical Archives. I mean, it's the weirdest thing that it makes me incredibly happy just to do research into 200 years ago. Um, you know, what's your place? I do like hiking at Radnor. It's, you know, backpack involved. You know, so if we can think of where our place is, where we find our joy, and if we can add more of that joy as we go through the holiday season and we look at next year, that we can start to come back and revive and become the people that we were and the people that we want to be. So as we do that and we look at Jesus' birth, we, we now take this bread <coughs> and we remember him and we remember the sacrifice that he went through for us.
drink this cup in remembrance of him. Hundred eleven.
closing reading comes from James 5, 7 through 10. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your message to us this morning. Thank you for loving us when we were the least of these. I pray as this week, as we go out um, and as we interact with other people, that you would show us opportunities to love people in the margins and on the outside and in the wilderness. In your name, amen. church. I want to highlight a, a few things just to keep it on the forefront of your mind uh, as uh, we have a lot going on, right? Reminder that tonight, 5 o'clock, candlelight service, there will be live flames and fire extinguishers available. Um, so we, we look forward to uh, having you here if you can make it uh, to worship with us uh, in a little bit of a different uh, ceremony as we uh, worship the coming uh, of our Lord. Uh, we also want to remind everybody of some very important things coming up. First, tomorrow, Sophie Spivey, 16. Incredible. Uh, and then we've got uh, Nigel and Jenny celebrating an anniversary, and JP and Beth. You, you guys are finally legal. Congratulations. Um, we do have uh, uh, William Knapp having a uh, special uh, play this week. So uh, we're playing Blessings on that one, and he's going to be young Simba. Uh, we also, this Wednesday, will be worshiping um, at North Creek uh, for Judy Jackson, a longtime member here. So we'd love to have your voice and your, your presence there with us as we do that. JB touched base about the men's retreat, so keep that in mind. Next Sunday, please mark your calendar as we are going to continue our worship, uh, this time with Fran Crouch. Uh, and we'd love to have your, your voices and your presence there as well. We've got a, a variety of stuff on that back of the bulletin with a lot of dates and everything there for you, so uh, please be mindful of that with your calendars. Uh, and then also, uh, we had a longtime member here, uh, Susan Porter, just got her PhD, uh, so we want to celebrate with her. And uh, would love, I know she would love to hear from you and uh, just congratulate her, congratulating her and her hard work. Larry, did you have something? Uh, Shannon and I are going to pick up the song before everybody it goes crazy. So. <laughs> yeah, pass those uh, song sheets to the uh, end of the aisle if you haven't already. Is there anything else, ladies and gents? We do have coffee, we do have donuts, and lots of fellowship. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org.
Thanks again for joining us. God bless.